is the absolute minimum you need to know and from a financial perspective to be successful. For those people who take no interest in financial matters, where do they learn what they need to know and what kind of help should they look for? Learn the answers to these questions and many more on this episode of the Talk To Me Doc podcast. Welcome to the Talk To Me Doc podcast, where it's all about serving the early career physician. Let's talk about the unique issues that face us so we can create a better future for ourselves and those to come. And now your host, Dr. Andrew Tisser. Jordan is a full-time plastic surgeon in Buffalo, New York, specializing in breast reconstruction and microsurgery. He's also the founder of the blog, The Prudent Plastic Surgeon, where he shares his journey from financial cluelessness and burnout to financial well-being. His goal is to help all physicians achieve financial freedom and practice on their own terms. Well, let's get Jordan right onto the show here. Hey, everybody. I got my good friend, Jordan, plastic surgeon extraordinaire and financial guru here on the show with me today. Jordan, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself. Yeah, thanks for having me, Andrew. I'm Jordan Fry. I am a plastic surgeon in uh, Andrew's neck of the woods. We're just we're probably recording this about like, I don't know, what would you say, like a mile away from each other? Um, (laughs) Yeah, probably. Yeah. And so I'm originally from Buffalo. Um, and I just moved back here after graduating from training about two years ago. Um, and within that time, too, I, I started getting interested in personal finance and started a blog about it. And uh, yeah, so it's been it's been fun. Yeah, it sure has. I, lo- I love seeing everything you're doing out there, Jordan. It's great. And and for those who take a real interest in financial matters, um, a wealth of information. But I wanted to take a little bit of a different path today. And I wanted to talk about what we really need to know as physicians when it comes to financial matters. And I'm talking about the people when you you bring up a you bring up retirement accounts and they immediately fall asleep, right? They don't want nothing to do with learning about finance. Um, and so I want to maybe go over some of the things you think that every physician, especially early career physicians, need to know about finance, even if they don't take any interest in the subject at all. Yeah, I think that's like that's a lot of fun to talk about because, yes, like I basically at the end of my training, I, I was totally financially clueless. And that, and that led to some burnout and things like that. I realized I was about to graduate and everyone was saying, like, it's going to be fantastic. And I didn't feel that way because I had half a million dollars in debt and credit card debt and had no savings, and no investments and didn't know where to start. So, you know, my wife, Selny and I, we just set out trying to learn enough to just sort of like take care of the bare minimum that we needed to know. Um, and it turns out I found like a real passion for this and I find it super interesting, but you don't need to have that at all to like manage your finances and basically just like a set it and forget it kind of method to get you on the path to, you know, retire on your own terms or reach financial freedom or fire or, or sort of whatever way you want to phrase it. Um, like it, it's like, you know, if like when I'm watching the NFL, like I don't understand all the intricacies of, of whatever, all the plays they're running and, and all this stuff to, to still enjoy it or, or whatever, if I'm listening to, like, you know, a band or something like that, whatever, whatever analogy you want to make. So um, that's one thing I really try to do is is like break things down to the most simple components to make it accessible to everyone. Um, And I think there is like a pretty, 
easy formula. Um, and what I'll try to do, I guess, is just sort of explain why that formula works, but then you never need to think about why it works again. Like that's the way I process a lot of things is like, I say, okay, I need to understand it one time. And then every time I go back and use it, like I don't need to necessarily understand why it works. I just need to know that it works and that I convince myself that it works one time. And then I'm comfortable just doing it over and over again. And that's kind of what you can do with your finances. Yeah, that's perfect. I mean, I'm excited to hear the formula myself. <laughs> I, I think like the one thing I do recommend, even again, if you have no interest whatsoever, I do recommend like just read one book about finance, like, and maybe just set out to say, I'm just going to read this one book in the span of one year or something. You know, we're all busy. It's not like you need to read the textbook on, on, you know, financial theories and stuff like that. But like a book like The Millionaire Next Door, one of these books that just philosophically describes how people can get wealthy, how you can get wealthy, because I didn't really understand that. Like, despite the fact that I knew I was going to make a high income and all doctors are, you know, high income earners, we all make uh, in the top 1% of the country and, and world. Um, but I just had no concept that I could even be wealthy. And the books like that kind of open your mind to it. So I, I think that's a good recommendation. But again, that has nothing to do with the formula. The formula is basically you want to save at least 20% of your gross income, your pre-tax income. That's step one. Um, and that sounds, you know, to say it like that makes it sound oversimplified. But in my mind, the things that go into being able to accomplish that is, you know, working with a budget which a lot of people's like sphincter titans when they hear budgets. Um, but it, it really That's is a, a naughty word, Jordan. That's yeah. a very naughty word. <laughs> it's, it's not like a budget's not a dirty, restrictive thing. To me, I look at it as a permissive thing. You know, like Selene and I, we created a budget. We had never lived on a budget, but when we both graduated, I became an attending. She started, you know, a real job after finishing her PhD. Um, we, we created a budget and we knew that we wanted to save 20%. So we basically just allocated the rest of our spending accordingly and then knew, okay, all we have to do is follow this, this budget and it's going to allow us to reach our goals. Um, and saving 20% once you're, when you're making like attending money should be pretty, pretty easy. I, I know there's probably not everyone's going to agree with that, but I think in terms of if you're making a doctor salary, um, and you can't save 20% of it, it's probably more of a spending problem than uh, an earning problem. And I know I say that as a plastic surgeon making in the top, you know, quartile of what physicians make, but I, I think in general, um, that holds true. And, and obviously, doing this earlier on in your career becomes a lot easier, because if you're already leasing cars or have a huge car loan, have a huge mortgage, um, are paying huge uh, tuition bills for your kids, have a bunch of other stuff on credit, it, it becomes more difficult to pare back that spending than it does to just not spend that to begin with. Um, so, so but, but that's step number one is use a budget to create a savings rate of 20%. And again, if, if people are listening who are residents, it's tougher to do in that situation. What my wife and I did when we first, you know, learned about this, our savings rate was zero. 
we are still residents living in New York City on just my resident salary. We just made our goal to increase our savings by 1% each month. That's also something you could do if, say, you were a little bit later out and you already were spending out a lot of things and you were having a tough time figuring out where is this 20% going to come from. Just do it gradually 1% at a time. Um, so I think that's step number one. I mean, I think, uh, I think, you know, that, that can, it, it, I guess it depends on the person, right? So, uh, some people listening will be like, oh, that's going to be super easy. And that that's just step one of the formula. And some people will be like, I'll never be able to save 20% of my salary, which, you know, again, I think as Jordan says, could be more of a spending problem, but you know, I like the idea of just slowly increasing your, your savings rate, you, you know, and maybe 1% a month is too much. Maybe 1% a quarter is more realistic, yeah. but, uh, you know, having a goal in mind is really, uh, yeah, I think that's great. So you know, I'm anxious. What's step two? I got to know. So I think once you do that, you can't, you're saving 20% of your money. And if you just like hide it under your mattress or something, that's not going to do you any good, especially, you know, inflation's on everyone's mind, uh, especially currently. So you need to have your money working for you. Um, so then you need to think, well, how can I invest? And that's something that seems really scary and risky, especially to people who are not super familiar with it like like I was. And I mean, I remember times like now where the stock market was going down and you would just randomly hear in the news or see in the newspaper just you weren't even trying to look for it but you just hear people talking about how bad the stock market is and how much money people are losing and you're just like oh my god you know this this is way too risky i'm not going to invest in this or you need to have some you know degree from from princeton to understand how this works and that that's actually just not the case it's actually really simple to invest and manage your own money when when you kind of break it down like this so in the stock market, you and, and I'll preface this by saying this is one of those things you just need to understand one time and and then just enact the the strategy of it. Um, but so if you own a stock, you own a part ownership in a company, you know, like if I have an Apple stock, it means I own like a, a, a very, very small percent of Apple. And if that company does well, then you make more money. If it does poorly, then you lose money. Um and that in itself, investing like that is risky because, you know, if we go back, um, you know, 20, 30 years and there were a lot of people, a lot of quote unquote experts saying you should invest your money in Apple. And the people that did, they put their money in and today they're super happy because they made a lot of money. But there were just as many experts saying you should put your money in Enron and Enron very famously has cratered and uh you know is out of existence and their stock went to zero and people who invested in them lost everything and and that is a horse bet that's what you're doing when you invest in individual companies like that is you're betting on horses um and the problem is that study after study has just shown that there's no way to predict ahead of time which horse is going to win the same as you know with an actual horse race so that in itself is risky but if you look at the stock market as a whole, and what I always tell people to do is, you know, go on your iPhone. There's like an app that comes pre-downloaded, the, the stocks app or whatever, um, and and look at the overall stock market, like the S and P 500, 
and start zooming out the time frame. So you start look at look at it over one day, and it looks just kind of like an EKG, just random ups and downs. Zoom out to a month, zoom out to three months, still pretty random. Uh, zoom out to a year, two years, five years, ten years. All of a sudden, you notice it, it just is a steady line going up, and and that's what the stock market has been. If you invest in the overall stock market. And you did that for any long period of time over the history of the stock market, like 10, 20 years, you would have made a lot of money because the overall stock market went up. And, and that's because when you're investing in the overall market, you're investing in every Apple. You're also investing in every Enron. But what you're really doing is investing just in like the ingenuity of humankind and the global or the, the U.S. economy. And that's a pretty safe bet because... If the global or U.S. economy fails, then, you know, pretty much civilization as we know it fails. And there's a lot bigger problems. That's a low risk thing. Um, but, you know, the ingenuity of humankind, that's been a very safe bet for a, for a long time. And so if you could find a way to just invest in the overall market for the long term, that would be a great way to invest. And there is a way to do that. And it's called index funds. And index funds are just collections of stocks in one big bag that mirror the overall or a big part of the either U.S. or the global stock market. And so what you can do is, is basically just invest your money in those index funds for a long time. And you don't need to be um, someone that even pays attention to what the stock market does on a daily basis because you're not investing for a day you're investing for years and years in the long term um and again studies have compared investing in index funds like this to people who quote unquote actively invest in the market and invest in individual stocks and try to time the market and it's shown that people who try to actively invest in the stock market they fail they underperform the index funds 80 percent of the time 80%. And of the 20% who actually do as well or better than the index funds, eventually they lose that in the next years, meaning there's no, there's no, um, there's no way to predict or there's no momentum that follows them that keeps them doing better in the future. So the index funds is the, the best way because 80% of the time it's going to be better and it's for the long run. And it, that's basically 80% every year times the amount of years you're investing and in that those odds just skyrocket. Um, not to mention the fact that index funds just have a lot less taxes and fees associated with them. So you're also winning in that regard. Um, so that's the concept to understand is that it's not difficult or risky to invest in the market um, when you're investing in the entire market. Um, so that's, that's everything I just said is boiled down in that concept. If you can invest in the, the total market using index funds, that's a very safe way to invest your money. And then the next thing just becomes deciding, you know, what you want to invest in, meaning, you know, you can invest in things like stocks and bonds uh, or real estate. And we'll kind of just for this discussion, keep it to stocks and bonds. Um, but, you know, you just basically decide what percentage of your money you want to invest in stocks, what percentage in bonds. Bonds are more conservative, meaning they have less risk, but also less return. So as you get older towards retirement, you're going to 
increase the percentage of bonds and decrease the percentage of stocks because you're going to be looking not for growth, which you're looking for early in your career. You're just going to look to preserve the money you have, which is what bonds are very good at. Um, but a good rule of thumb is just your age rounded down to the nearest 10 is the percentage of bonds you want. So like me, I'm 34. So let's say I want 30% bonds and 70% stocks. So then all I do, if I have, you know, $10,000 that I want to invest, just an arbitrarily round number, I would just buy $7,000 worth of a stock index fund, $3,000 worth of a bond index fund. And then I would just do nothing. And, and I would ignore it for a whole year. And then I would come back and look at it. And let's say stocks did really well that year. So now 80% of my money might be in stocks and 20% in bonds because stocks did better than bonds. And so they grew more money. And so all I'm going to do after a year is change that percentage back to my original 70-30. 70% stocks, 30% bonds. And because I, I did that, what I just did is I would have sold stocks and I would have sold them high because they were the ones that did better. And I would have bought bonds and I would be buying low because the bonds had done worse. And so that guarantees me that I'm buying low and um, selling high and that's how you make money. And then I would just ignore it for another year and do the same thing and just keep repeating that. And, and so that's how I invest my money. And it's really easy. And it doesn't take, it, it takes like, you know, 30 minutes a year. And, and right now the stock market is not doing well, but to me, I don't care because, you know, the money that I keep putting in, I'm just buying stocks while they're on sale, which is fine with me. And I'm investing for the long term, So I don't care what it does in the short term. And um, that that's all you need to do. So to boil it down, all you need to do is basically save 20% of your income invest it in index funds broken down into a percentage of stocks, a percentage of bonds, maybe a percentage of real estate, and you buy all of those in index funds. And once a year, you just rebalance back to the percentage that you want. But Jordan, my crazy uncle told me I should put all my money in this one stock. Am I not <laughs> to listen to him? It depends. Uncle Joe? He knows. Right, what listen, about. he knows, right? <laughs> he knows. No, I mean, I, I, I think that's great, you know, and 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 your breakdown of eighty percent of the time, um, the market overall market doing better than individual investors. We're talking to a group group of of doctors here, a who don't want to know about this stuff, right? So right. you're definitely not going to be part of that twenty percent, right? Yeah. And uh, B, you want to set it and forget it. So, well, the odds are in your favor. Just do what Jordan says and make it easy, right? Exactly. And like the the 20%, the, the 80% that underperform, I think people are always wondering like, well, is this just like, you know, uh, is, is this Uncle Joe in the basement that we're talking about? No, this is like Wall Street. Like if you, um, you know, a lot of people have heard the name uh, Kathy Woods uh, lately because she runs this. It's called the ARC Fund. And this was like a really hot fund she's an active investor and you know it had been performing so well over the past few years well guess what all of those years that she she did she beat the market for many years in a row but this past year she lost all of that those gains that she had and and now overall the market excuse me overall her fund is performing 
worse than if you had just invested in the whole market. And, and you know, for the past three years, people are talking about her as if she's a genius. And, and I'm not saying she's not smart, but this has happened over and over again in history that people have outperformed the market and people think, well, this person's figured it out. But it's just been shown study after study, years and years of research by really smart people have just shown you can't beat index funds. And yet there's a whole market, there's a whole industry in Wall Street that is dedicated to trying to convince you that they can. And once you realize that, it seems so silly and, and disingenuous, especially to doctors, because we take this oath of, you know, we're, we're here to help people. And it, it's sort of like, you know, we're when you're investing with these, you know, advisors or funds or things that are trying to beat the market, you're you're sort of just like funding their experimentation, which, again, it's just been shown not to work. Well, I think that brings us to another good point. So, you know, how many people um, are either residents or getting out of residency and and maybe they're co at their attendings or their co-residents are like, ah, just get a financial advisor. They'll figure it out for you. You know, what do you say to those people who are really like, I mean, I pay somebody to cut my grass and I have pay somebody to, uh, you know, manage my money. You know, what's the deal with financial advisors? Yeah, I don't think so. Like, I don't I don't have a financial advisor. Um, I don't think you need one uh, just because, like I said, it, it becomes pretty simple when you just sort of. You have to convince yourself of, of these concepts that I described. And, and it, it, once you believe in them, you you just say, OK, I just need to do these three simple steps and what do I need to pay someone to do that for? But with that being said, some people will just say, I don't even want to do that. Um, so I want a financial advisor. And I think that's fine as long as you're getting good advice from them and you're not paying them too much. So in terms of the payments, like making sure you're not paying too much. So how do financial advisors get paid? They get paid in a few different ways. One, um, is they get paid based on commissions, which means that they sell you something and they get a percentage of that sale. And that's a huge conflict of interest, obviously, because if something needs if something needs a commission to be sold, that means like it, it's it's not something that someone should buy. You know, like if if someone needs to be convinced to sell you something, it's because it's not a good product. Um, and so if anyone is telling you that's how they get paid or they're telling you like, well, you actually don't pay me, it's because they're based on commissions and you don't want that person as your advisor. The next way they kind of get paid is what's called asset under management or a fee only advisor. And this basically means like if, um, if uh, you invest X amount of dollars, they, they make 1% of however much you invest with them. And that's regardless of how well they actually do. They're, they're still making 1% of the money that you have with them. And that doesn't seem like a lot when you're starting out or maybe you're investing like your first thousand or $10,000 or something. But again, as a doctor, you're gonna, you're gonna be investing a lot more money. You're gonna be getting up to investing, you know, a million dollars, more than that. And again, to, to once a year spend 15 minutes just adjusting your percentages, back to your goal asset allocation of stocks and bonds or stocks and bonds in real estate, that doesn't deserve like tens of thousands of dollars. You know, that that's such an easy thing. That's way overpaying. So then there's the third way that advisors get paid and that's a flat fee. 
And to me, that's what makes the most sense because um, you should be getting an advisor that is going to invest in index funds using a rebalancing strategy because that's just been shown to be the best consistently. Um, if they're not, if they're trying to convince you otherwise, then that is not an advisor that I believe you should go with. Um, but also, if they are going to do that, you shouldn't be paying them tens, hundreds of thousands of dollars over your investing career. So then it would be best to negotiate a flat fee of, say, you know, a couple thousand a year to to do that for you, um, which they a lot of advisors may not want to do because that doesn't make them as much money as if they were actively managing your account and making transaction fees off of you and asset under management fees and all this other stuff. So when you meet with them, you do have to make sure you understand completely how they are paid, that you understand how they invest their own money and how they plan to invest your money. And that should be via index funds with a yearly rebalancing plan. And if they don't agree with that, or if they're trying to explain some other way, or they, they know how to do this thing that other people don't know how to do, and it's getting huge returns and all of this, those are red flags. No, that makes a lot of sense. All right. So save 20%, even if you don't say the word budget, but have one. Right. Um, index funds, financial advisor, uh, flat fees. What, mm -hmm. what else do we need to know? Just a bare minimum. Because uh, I'm sure some people's eyes are already rolling when you said the word index fund. <laughs> um, what do we need to know as as early career docs when it comes to our finances so we can just go enjoy our you know yachts and Porsches that everyone thinks we have anyway? Well, that's the thing. I think the the biggest other financial concept that I didn't understand and that has had the biggest impact is intentional spending, which in itself is not like you know, it's not a retirement fund. It's not like a, a, a nitty gritty thing of, you know, how you invest your money and whatever. But it's such an important concept and one that doctors and I think time commanders in general are really like not great at understanding. And psych psychology has shown in studies that humans in general, are, we're just really bad at guessing ahead of time the joy that we're going to get out of purchases or which which purchases are going to bring us the most joy and, and things like that. So, you know, doctors, we spend a lot of years in training. So we have all this delayed gratification built up and we finally start making money and then we buy all this stuff like yachts and Ferraris and things like that. Um, but we don't always think about the joy that we're getting from those things relative to their impact on our finances. So the equation that I started using along with my wife in our heads as we were um, becoming attendings and starting to have more money to spend and stuff like that was whenever we were planning to make, to per make a purchase, we asked two questions of ourselves. The first question was, can we buy this and still achieve our financial goals? Can we buy this, still save at least 20% of our money to invest? Um, if the answer is no, then obviously that then becomes a non-starter. But often, most of the time it's yes. So if the answer is yes, and it doesn't matter what the actual cost is, it could be a million dollars, it could be one dollar. If it fits within your financial plan, you move on to this next question. You say, okay, is the joy that I get from this purchase 
going to be greater than or equal to the price tag? If the answer is yes, you just buy it. Again, it doesn't matter if it's a million dollars or one dollar. If it fits in your financial plan, it's going to give you greater joy than the price tag. That makes no, that makes uh, like absolute sense. Just buy it. If the answer is no, it's not going to bring you equal joy to that price tag, then you shouldn't. You just, you walk away. Um, and it sounds so simple, but most of the time we just buy things completely unintentionally. Um, and, and I can give you an example. So like at the risk of losing all the listeners, I, I'm not a car person. I just don't care about cars that much. I don't like get excited about them. I just want one to get me from point A to point B. But when, you know, I graduated, I had planned to lease a car for like a thousand dollars a month or something like that. And I did, I just did that because I was like, that's kind of what people do. I'm going to be a plastic surgeon. You know, we, we get nice cars and stuff like that. Um, but then I realized, like I was looking at it and I was like, this just doesn't make sense. Like I'm not, it fits within my financial plan, but the goal, um, the joy that I'm going to get from it is not equal to the price tag. And so what I ended up doing was I just ended up buying a used Toyota and I use that. And that is, I bought for like $4,000 and, and that's, that serves me well. And I'm, I'm really happy driving that around. And I get to use that $1,000 for one of two things. I either get to spend that $1,000 a month on something that does bring me that much joy or greater, or I get to put it towards, you know, advancing my path to financial freedom. And that's not to say that buying a car or getting an expensive car or whatever is wrong. It just, in my case, it didn't make sense. If that car was going to bring me more joy than that um, monthly cost, then it would have made sense and I would have got it. And in comparison, you know, my wife and I, we did right away. We got a doctor house for sure. And we we bought it within our criteria and it fits within our financial plan, but it's it's one of our biggest expenses every month. But it was really important to us, especially coming from New York where we were really cramped and we wanted a yard and we wanted space and things like that. So that, again, it fit within our financial plan. It brings us a greater joy than the price tag. So that we did spend on. So I'm not saying don't spend at all. I'm just saying spend intentionally. And, and that is gonna also help you to save that money to then invest and, and get to the point where you are financial free, financially free, that you can live, work, practice on your own terms because you want to, not because you have to. That's great. Oh, I love that rule. And I think really if people stopped and thought about things more and yeah, sometimes, you know, sometimes it goes the other way and I'll be like mulling over a decision that's like, well, should I get that's in the scheme of things really doesn't cost that much money. Right. And exactly. then, uh, you know, I'm just like, exactly. stop, you just get it. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. No, I find myself doing that all the time too. It's like, you know, I'll be like, oh, should I, I forgot my lunch? Should I buy lunch or something? I go, I'm like, what are you doing? You know, just buy the lunch. Come on. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. So we're starting to run out of time here, Jordan. But um, a couple other questions for you. What do you like to do for fun? For fun? Uh, well, currently, I, I pretty much just like chase my kids around for fun. Um, That's fun. Yeah, but that, <laughs> that is. But I love reading. I read a lot. Um, I still try to try to stay active. Um, you know, playing basketball and bike riding and stuff like that. Um, and I, I love writing. I, so I, my blog is a big uh, kind of outlet for, for me and for that uh, interest of mine. Great. 
And uh, you already recommended The uh, Millionaire Next Door. Do you have any other book recommendations for the listeners? doesn't have to be about finance. I Well, I'll give you one more finance one that's great, which is um, The Psychology of Money. That one is a really good one. Um, and let's see. The last book I just read, which was cool, it wasn't about finance, but it, it's called When, W-H-E-N, like when is it? Um, was by a guy named Daniel Pink. And it was all just like talking about the impact of timing in our lives and, and sort of like timing and luck. And, and so that was really interesting. Hmm, cool. I don't, I haven't read that. I finished the psychology of money maybe like a couple months ago. That is a great nice. Book. Yeah. It, it's really um, good. Yeah. I like that. That was really, and just to the point. So yeah, but I'll have exactly. to check out one and you've given us a lot of great advice thus far, but if you could, boil your advice down to a single piece of advice for the early career physician, what would that be? Just learn and pay attention to your finances, develop the simple habits to, to set you on the right path because financial well-being is a really important part of personal well-being. Um, and, and a lack of it can lead to, to burnout like I had. So it's okay to, to pay attention to that. Great. And where can people find you if they want to learn more about the great Dr. Jordan Fry? <laughs> now, now you're just uh, buttering me up. Um, hey, that's what that's what you're here for. <laughs> you can you can go to my website. It's prudentplasticsurgeon.com, or you can email me at jordan at prudentplasticsurgeon.com, and I respond to all emails and everything like that. So yeah, definitely reach out. Great. Well, Jordan, thank you again. All those uh, links will be in the show notes for the listeners. And uh, if anyone wants to come up uh, to sunny Buffalo, New York, uh, Jordan and I would love to see people here. This is a nice time of year. Not, yeah, uh, come on up. T- Unless you like winter sports, you know. Then <laughs> <laughs> come later. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks so much again. And uh, we'll talk soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Andrew. What an amazing show. I really enjoyed when Jordan talked about the minimum you needed to know financially for those people who just aren't interested. And that's okay too, right? We're experts at being doctors, but what's important is to know who to talk to, where to get help, and just knowing a little bit about the basics so we speak the same language. Thank you again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please leave me an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts. The other thing I'd like you to do after listening is visit my website at andrewtisserdo.com where you can find all my previous podcasts, helpful resources, free guides, and much more. Thank you again for listening, everyone. And as always, keep talking. All opinions expressed by the guest in this episode are solely the guest's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Andrew Tisserdo, TalkToMe.LC, or any affiliates thereof. The guest's opinions are based upon information he or she considers reliable, but Andrew Tisserdo, TalkToMe.LC, nor any affiliates thereof warrant its completeness or accuracy. The guest, Andrew Tisserdo, TalkToMe.LC, or any affiliates thereof are not under any obligation to update or correct any information provided in this episode. The guest statements and opinions are subject to change without notice.